you know, like when we're we're going through this new sermon series over this next four weeks, talking about promises, and these are some promises that are well known and often told. The B slash do statement. I promise I'll do better. I promise that I'll be better. How many of us have heard that before, right? Um, then there's the stereotypical romantic statement, right? Oh, man, I'll promise to love you to the end of time. I promise I'll love you with my dying breath. Like, if we watch any type of movies or uh, television shows, these are the things that we are, you know, like our hearts are drawn to. You know that there's like a certain pinnacle when you hear this, like, stereotypical romantic statement, I'll promise to love you to the end of time. I promise I'll love you with my dying breath. Then there's the present statement. I promise to be here. I promise to be there for you, right? Yeah, I'm sure that some of us have... Uh, been assured of these things, like maybe through a friend, best friend, or a coworker, or you know, a significant other. Like I promise, I'll always be there for you. Uh, rain or shine, thick or thin, like no matter the situation or circumstance, I promise I'll be there for you. Um, so these are statements that we heard, and then of course the typical the. Uh, if, you, if any of us are familiar with NSYNC, the NSYNC statement is "Till the day my life is through." <laughs> this I promise you, right? Uh, okay, so maybe we have like six people here that know uh, un- that, that know who NSYNC is. It's before uh, Justin Timberlake became solo artist. Anyways, uh, there is this line that they say that makes that has this entire song that's just like, "Hey, like I promise to be there for you. I promise to do this. I promise to do that." But Look, at the end of the day, words and these promises and these statements that are presented are all empty. And so what is the true promise that we can actually hold to? And I want to see, I want to look into Second Peter chapter 1, and we're going to go through 1 through 11, and we're going to see a promise that the Lord has established in our life today that we're able to dissect. Before we get into it, uh, Peter, and I, I apologize if I say Paul, because over the last like two, three months, man, I think I've said the word, the name Paul like a billion times, right? Paul, Paul, Paul. We we're just in the book of Colossians, Paul, Paul, Paul. Paul would say this, Paul would write this, Paul. And so uh, I'm trying my best not to get Peter and Paul mixed up. But Peter is actually writing not to a particular church, but he's um, writing to a collective And he's writing to the churches in Asia Minor. And ultimately, if you guys look at this book, we're not going to break down the entirety of the book. um, But what Paul or Peter is essentially essentially writing, if there was to be a statement, is to God be the glory. And and he's trying to uh, really assure the church that, man, God is going to rule and to reign. And there are certain things that we can adhere to as Christians. So let's dive into this. Uh, verse 1. Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. It's so funny because... Uh, if you guys know anything about 
uh, Peter, he was the one that really that that received the prophetic message that opened up salvation, right? Not just to the Jews, but to the Gentiles, to to the Greeks, to everybody else. And and he's addressing the church, and he's talking about um, not faith being equal standing in a sense that they're entitled, but he's telling the people that. Um, weren't once crafted into salvation and the history of salvation. And he's telling the church, you need to pretty much look up. And it's not this, this entitled sense. I mean, sure. They, they had, you know, like they had Jew, you know, Jews that were very entitled because they, they felt like his, his, you know, salvation was for the people of Israel and those things. But as he's addressing the church, he's telling them, hey, you need to make sure that you look up to the things and to be of equal standing in our faith. And this is what you proclaim. And this is where you are a part of our community. You need to look up. And this is very similar to what Paul was writing to the church of Colossae. And he was telling them, hey, you need to set your mind to the things above. And so Peter is essentially writing the same thing to a collective, to the churches of Asia Minor. And he continues with a greeting. And he quickly goes into this. He says, may grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. And then verse three, and this is where we get into just the context, the the meat of our passage. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that through them, you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. The great divide of who we once were is trumped by the great divine of the power of the gospel. My first point is this, is that God promises us a new life. There's four things as we take in verses three to four that Peter references, it's these four promises. So if you guys are writing, taking notes, a promise of new power through the Holy Spirit, which Peter was there firsthand experience through the, the, the sermon, through the, the, the sermon um, during Pentecost. And he saw how the Holy Spirit would begin to move. Number two, a promise to the likeness of God. We, in our current state and beings, we are not going to always be like this. We are going to be given a new body. We are going to be given um, new health where we will not suffer sadness or, or disease, but we will be in heaven for eternity if we confess Jesus as Lord. And this is the likeness of God that he presents to us. If you guys look in 1 John, I believe it's 3, where he talks about this in the likeness, being in the likeness of God. A promise, number three, 
of Jesus Christ's return, where we know that as we congruently gather together, man, we like celebrate the life, death, and resurrection, but we know that Jesus is coming again. No one knows the day and hour, but he's going to come. And then number four, a promise of eternal life in heaven. A promise of eternal life in heaven. The promise that we know propels us to live life with bearings as Christians. As, Paul, as Peter is writing this statement um, in verses three and four, he talks about how we would begin to, look, at the end of, you've heard us time and time again, especially as Peter references this, we have, just by our own nature, we are within a very sinful nature, right? As humans, we, have, uh, we, are, we are just corrupt people. But because of the power of the gospel in Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, his divine power actually allows us to be drawn to the other side. And so what Jesus does is he rectifies us. He provides, he is the solution in our lives. And as he's promising us new life with him, he wants us to bear the marks as Christians and for us to essentially elevate our lives. He wants us, yeah, look, we were talking about New Year's resolutions. Like, look, I think that at the end of the day, it's not that the matter that we fail, but as his mercies are new every morning, we're able to have this new thought, this new breath, this new life in Christ every single day. And this is the promise that he has for each and every one of us. Look, we're going to, we're going to fail. Like, uh, I don't know if you guys know this, but um, From the Inside Out, the song that we sang, was a song that changed my life. <laughs> I get into this place where every single time I hear that, like the opening line is a thousand times I failed, right? And every single time I hear that, I'm like, yep, that's me, right? And I will fail a thousand times and a thousand times more. But I know that because of the new life that the Lord has placed in me, that I am working on myself and God is working on me. And I'm able to uh, wake up every single morning knowing that his mercies are new. And that I'm trying to be a better, not just a better Christian just because the moralistic values or anything like that. But I'm trying to better myself because I hold to the promise that I know that the Lord has placed in my life. And I'm trying to be better and I'm trying to walk with him in forever glory. And this leads me into talking about what the passage says in verse 5, 6, and 7. So read with me. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith. Now, let's just pause right there. That statement, make every effort to supplement your faith. Should you as Christians be making the strides, the effort, the necessities to be working on your faith? Yes. What does that look like? Whatever that looks like to you. But practically speaking, 
You should be reading your Bible. You should be praying. You should be spending devotion. You should be worshiping. You should be setting the time that's necessary in order to supplement your faith. This is direct instruction from Peter to the church in Asia Minor. And this is the same instruction that he gives to each and every one of us, that we should be doing the necessities to supplement our faith. Now, uh, again, I've talked about this before. Do, do I wake up every morning saying, yeah, I need to go spend time with the Lord? That's not the case. But I am mindful of my relationship with the Lord where I want to spend time with him. And my question to you this morning is, do you spend time or do you crave to spend time with the Lord? Do you crave to spend time with your father? Do you spend, do you crave to spend time knowing the one who has created you, who has placed um, your, your life in the palm of his hands? And I'll go as bold as to say this. Maybe um, when we talk about the word promises, maybe um, some of you guys are thinking to yourself, well, what are the promises in my life? What are the promises that the Lord has placed in my life? Maybe if you would spend time with him, you would know what those things are. And he says, make every effort to supplement your faith. And he goes on marking seven things. With virtue, good moralism, virtue with knowledge, knowledge with self-control, self-control with steadfastness, steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. The seven points of references that are capped off with the key word, love. Look, in, in any type of doing, if your response is not with love, if you're not doing it out of love, then essentially I'm going to ask the question, what are you doing it then there for? And so Peter writes, with love, all these things with love. For if these qualities are yours, in verse 8, are, for if these for if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. What destroys us in our faith, what prevents us from growing, is our complacency. God is not calling us to be complacent, rather for us to continue to grow in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so, again, what are you doing? What can you do would be the better question. Hence, where I said, hopefully the Holy Spirit will talk to you. And we have 21 days of prayer and fasting for a reason. Like, look, I'm not trying to say that that's the Holy Spirit, but maybe that's a clear-cut sign that, hey, like if you feel a tug on your heart, maybe this is the Lord speaking to you. What destroys us is our complacency. And then it goes into verse 9. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted. Again, the the seven points of reference, just um, supplementing our faith with virtue, knowledge, self-control, steadfastness, godliness, and brotherly affection with love. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, 
having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Um, before I make this next statement, uh, a couple weeks ago, my nieces came home for the holidays because they were spending uh, the first couple weeks with their dad. Um, and then my nieces came home and my youngest came in with uh, glasses that were way too big for her. And I was like, oh, Simran, why are you wearing glasses? I was like, did you get, are you, I was like, do you have like trouble seeing? It's like, no, it's for fashion. and I was like what and so like she had these glasses that were so big that like when she would look down they'd like droop and then she'd have to like pick them back up and I was like I never get that concept where people wear for fashion well I get it right but as a person that is genuinely blind (laughs) right because of my nearsightedness like I can't like if (laughs) Missile will whoever's in the back if they threw up I can't see that, right? <laughs> nobody wants to be blind. And nobody wants to be in sin. And this is the reference that Peter is writing. Nobody wants to be blind. Nobody wants to be in sin. And if we lack these things, then what ends up happening is our heart begins to divert elsewhere. And he's saying, hey, in order for you to be consistent, you need to draw to these principles. You need to draw to these seven points of references. And then he goes into saying this in verse 10. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. Therefore, brothers... Be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election, for if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. Look, we can um, unpack verse 10 in like a f- eight-week series in itself, uh, just theologically, but I'll just simply put it this way. Um, if you confess Jesus as Lord and Savior, you are in the realm of called and elected And this is Peter's bold statement. If you persist and practice your faith, you'll never fail. If you persist and practice your faith, you'll never fall. And then let's see how Peter leads and concludes with a glorious promise through Christ. For in this way, there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. This is my final statement. We don't work out of inheritance. We don't work to earn our promise. Our promise has already been cemented in Christ our Lord as soon as confession took place. Um, If you look at verses 1 through 11, it's almost like this. There's just this gradual uptick of how Peter presents the message and this promise that comes through Christ. And he ends it off with this note. That if you confess, that if you confirm, if you uh, are a a Christian, then you have eternal life in the kingdom of heaven for the rest of eternity. And this is a promise that has been granted to us. 
But oftentimes, we feel like we need to work our way to salvation. And I'll tell you right now that there is nothing here on this earth that we need to do in order to, uh, to be accepted by God's love. There's nothing that we need to do. There's no standard that's set. There's nothing that, that is present in order for us to um, be called into eternity with him. This is a promise that God has placed in our lives. And I look, I'm not here to, to try to convince you. I'm just here to present the message that if you call upon Jesus as Lord and Savior, you have eternity with him. And so for me, I know that my eternity is sealed with him. I know that that is a promise that the Lord is going to keep in my life. And it propels me. It, it pushes me forward. And I want to be able to share the same promise that the Lord has placed in my life with everybody around me. So as we conclude today, um, maybe some of us need to take a deep, long reflection in just our own lives. Maybe some of us are deeply challenged this morning in just our own faith and our own walk with him. Maybe some of us have drifted a little too far but you're never too far from the heart of God. Maybe some of us need to take a deep, long reflection on what promises the Lord has placed in our lives and to revisit them and see to it that the Lord still holds true. Um, two years ago, man, it's crazy because we're talking, we're, we're not saying like a year ago, we're talking about years under our belts, Right? February will be two years where we first started congruently gathering together. Um, but in the first quarter of 2021, where, um, no, 2022, where we met um, in Coffee Kitchen, I preached the sermon called Premise and Promise. And I remember asking a, just a very, uh, very vague question. What are the promises that the Lord has placed in your life? And as I ask that question out loud, maybe it's a good opportunity for us to revisit this. We see time and time again, and we're going to touch upon this. I'm sure Peter's going to touch upon it. I'm going to touch upon it. But we see in the demonstration of scripture of how God promised things to his people. And time and time again, he delivered. And we currently are in the season of promise. And I believe that the Lord is going to deliver. And I'm not just talking about just the essentials of the church. I'm talking about in my own life as well. But even as I still wait, um, I'm certain of this. God is a promise keeper because he holds my life in the palm of my hands. And I choose to trust him. And church, I hope that you would choose to trust him, that you would be deeply encouraged and moved to trust him as well. So Lord...